Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Ashley Smith. Today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 4. Um, I actually am finding it a real joy studying through Revelation. Um, it's a blessing, it's a spiritual book, and it's a book that's very relevant and very pertinent for the time in which we're living. So before we jump open um, and dive into the scriptures, let's just pause for a moment and have a quick prayer. Father, we pause this morning in your presence. We thank you that in your presence is the abundance of joy. But Father, in a world such as ours, we know that joy is sometimes hard to find. But we also know that joy is different to happiness. Happiness comes and goes with the moment, but joy is a deep abiding trust in you who are faithful. Joy is stronger than our circumstances. And Father, as we open your word today, we pray that anything and everything that is stopping us in our relationship with you may be cast aside and that, Father, your spirit may speak to us, may you penetrate our hearts today. And Father, may you reveal yourself in all of your splendor. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Open with me to Revelation chapter 4. What we're going to be looking at today is a picture into the very throne room of God. You know, one day we will be in God's presence. We will see God face to face. But even now, in our present condition, the scriptures have revealed to us through the inspiration in the book of Revelation that there is a throne room in heaven and we're getting a picture of what that is like. My title for the sermon today is Thrones for Worship. Let's read in verse 1. The scripture reads this. It says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. What a, what a picture. What a powerful picture. As the Apostle John is in vision. Oh, I won't show that picture yet. As the Apostle John is in vision, he sees a throne. Now it's interesting. Sometimes you notice things that other people don't notice. Does everyone have a friend that notices something that they never noticed? They kind of look at the thing that no one's really focusing on. I remember when I was younger, I saw this video, and it was an object lesson, and some of you may have seen this video. The video was um, people in white shirts and people in black shirts. And the, the purpose of this video was to count how many times the people in the black shirts, no, the white shirts, pass a basketball. Has anyone ever seen that? Oh, I should have shown it. So you're focusing on the, the people with the white shirts passing the basketball for about a minute. And then it says, how many times was the basketball passed? The answer is 15. And then it says, did you notice the gorilla doing a dance in the middle? So while the, there's people with black shirts and there are people with white shirts, they're both passing the basketball. And while you're focusing on the people with white shirts passing the basketball, you're so focused on what you're looking at that you don't see this gorilla just walk onto the stage and just do a bit of a dance and then just walk off. And it's 
funny sometimes we focus on things, but we miss the point that's being made. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 4 here, the focus is on he who sits on the throne. It is. But the first thing that John is confronted with is the throne. Actually, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4 just here, the word throne is mentioned 14 times in a single chapter. The emphasis here for us is to understand that there is a throne in heaven. Now, why is that significant? Of course, there's a throne in heaven. But the question I want to ask you this morning is this, who sits on a throne? Who sits on the throne? And I'm not talking about the throne that we all have in our homes. I'm talking about the throne. A king sits on its throne. Now, the focus here for John is the throne room in heaven. What kind of king sits on the throne in heaven? The Lord God Almighty. So how much more powerful is the Lord God Almighty? How much more glorious is his throne? Infinitely more, you know, um, stupendous and, 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 and amazing is God's throne to humans' thrones. You know, you may have seen on the news recently, um, you know, the Queen or something had a, an announcement from Buckingham Palace. And I know what happened. I didn't read the news report. Might have been something about her corgis or something like that. But if there's news coming from the throne room, then it's important news. How much more important if the throne room is in heaven and it's God's throne? And I want to tell you something. The last time I checked, the last time I read the scriptures, God is on his throne. And God is still on his throne. And isn't that amazing that in a world that is out of control, there is one who is in control. And there is a king who reigns. And if there is a king who reigns, then there is a kingdom which we are all a part of. And he is looking to bring this kingdom, or he's established this kingdom on earth through his son. But there is a day where the kingdom will be made new on earth and we will be subjects in that kingdom. Isn't that a glorious day that we're looking forward to? In a world that is out of control, God still is. We quickly forget that, don't we? We quickly forget that. You know, a great hobby of mine is hiking. And I've used a number of illustrations, and you guys would know that by now. I love hiking. And the thing with hiking is you can go out in the bush, you have your backpack, you have your food, you have your equipment. And it seems as if you were prepared for any situation that may confront you. But the reality is this. You may think that you're in control, but you're really not. When we were in New Zealand hiking, this is my family and myself, the last day of our hiking on the Rootburn track, there was torrential rain. And I can't remember how fast the winds were going up on the top of the mountain, but we had to walk down through the valley And the rain was just something I had never seen before in my life. There were waterfalls where there was once not waterfalls. And we're crossing these pathways that are usually dry, but because the water is just coming down the faces of these mountains, you know, we're walking through water. You know, I had good equipment. I had a good Gore-Tex jacket. I had a good backpack, a One Planet backpack. I I had good equipment. But could anything prepare you for torrential rain? I thought that I was in control and I was thinking, you know what, I have the right equipment, I've spent a bit of money on my equipment, my family, not so much, they're going to get wet, I'm going to stay dry. We all got wet. 
all of us got wet. I'm going to show you a quick little video of what it was like. Well, that's a photo. That's, that's um, a great big mountain. Actually, that's a beautiful view when it's not foggy or misty. This shows you how much rain was there. This is us crossing the river. I might have to click that again. I forgot. I saved it as a... I saved it as a... Anyways. So here's us crossing this. So this is a pathway that runs through here, and this is a, this is a, torrent, this is a torrential um, stream that's just come up because of the heavy rain that we've had. And we were like hopping through water up to our knees. And as we're walking down to the car park, this was the last day, so we were just absolutely soaked by the time we got there. There were people who were just starting from the other end, and they were in, um, they were in like sneakers and... Um, what else were they in? They were in like uh, a plastic bag poncho. But we are probably just as wet as what they were. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. You think that you're in control, but you're really not. In a world that is out of control, God is still in control. Whatever it is in your life, God still sits on his throne. God still reigns. And I've read the end of the scriptures, and I know who wins. It's God who wins. And here is God sitting on his throne. And look at the description that is used to describe him. We see there's a rainbow that's encircling his throne. What a beautiful picture that is. Turn with, actually, up on the screen, we've got this this text just here that talks about the rainbow. Um, Revelation chapter 4 borrows a lot of imagery from the book of Ezekiel, the first chapter. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, it talks about a rainbow. It's talking about God's throne yet again in Ezekiel. And it says that God's throne is like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. You know, when the floods came through Moolumbah and we had all that rain. What was it like to see a rainbow once the rain had gone? It was beautiful, wasn't it? It's a reminder of God's covenantal blessings, his covenantal promise, his faithfulness towards his people. And here's this rainbow that's stretched out across the sky that reminds us of who God is and the promises that he makes. The promises that God makes are promises that he keeps. And this is encircling his throne. In other words, he who is, he who speaks and it is, he who is the word, he who is the promise, is eternally faithful to that which he promises. So in, in heaven, we don't just have a ruler, we don't just have a king who is sitting on a throne, but we have one who is faithful to what he has promised, to his universe. He is consistent, he does not contradict himself, but at the same time, he's holy. Jasper, Sardius, in the book of Ezekiel and in Daniel, you see fire. He's a holy God, but even though he's a holy God, he's an approachable God. And the question is, well, why is he approachable? Because Jesus was the veil. His flesh was the veil. And as Jesus hung on the cross, the veil was torn, so to speak. And we have access now where we did not have access once before. He is a holy God. He is a glorified God, but he is approachable. And at the same time, he is a father who loves us. What a beautiful picture this is. You know, um, when, I think of, when, I think of this, when I think of this picture here, I think of God sitting on his throne in all of his glory. You know, the focus sometimes for me when I'm thinking about this picture 
is so much on he who sits in that throne room. And I think it's just him in that throne room. But there's a lot of people there with him. A lot of beings, I should say, there with him. And what are they doing there in that throne room? What we're going to do now is we've seen God in his throne room, high and lifted up. I want to show you who is near the throne. Verses 4 to 8. Reading in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf. And the third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Interesting picture, hey? It sounds pretty messed up. I know when I, when I read that, I'm just like, oh man, that sounds pretty crazy. And what kind of beings are in heaven? Um, obviously, a lot of this language is symbolic. It's symbolic language. The first beings that we see around God's throne are his elders, or the elders. Isn't it interesting? There's a, lot, a bit of conjecture, actually, about who these elders are. Are they angels? Are they redeemed humans who have crowns of victory and robes of righteousness that rule and reign? The jury is still out. But the focus isn't so much on who they are, but rather what they're doing. What are they sitting on? They're sitting on thrones. Isn't this just an awesome picture that we have of God? I mean, God is sitting on his throne, but does God rule as an autocratic dictator? There are thrones that are established in his midst. What does this communicate to us? Well, number one, God shares. Does he need to share? No. Does he need their counsel? No. But they're there because God shares. And he makes them privy to all of his dealings because God is transparent. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that God is completely and entirely transparent? There is no shadow of turning with thee. Who he is is who he is. He doesn't put a face on, he doesn't mask himself, but he reveals who he is in its entirety. Whenever God judges, he always investigates. Not that he needs to investigate, but rather that everyone can see where he's coming from. That's good news. He's not a dictator that says, we're going to do this because we're going to do this. But he reveals it to everyone. He shares. I know about you guys... But I struggle to share. I struggle to share food. I really do. And it's something that, it's, just, it's a problem that I've had ever since I was a kid. You know, um, <laughs> I'll give you an illustration. My mum, I was probably about four or five. This illustration just came to me, actually. It's funny, like, you're just sitting, I'm sitting in my office thinking, man, I can't think of any illustrations today. You just can't think of them. And then right now, you know, after like, an hour or so trying to think of illustrations. One just comes, you know. Anyways, mum, my mum, when I was four years old, you know, she would put, you know, she'd get by these big mangoes. 
And she put these big mangoes in the fridge for summertime. And during the day, she would get them out and she would chop them up. So she'd cut the, the sides off them and she'd do the noughts and crosses, cut in it, and then she'd stick them out like that. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah? So she'd do that and then she'd call us and we'd come and eat them. It was awesome. And I remember that I was playing with my next door neighbor. Her name was Jamela. And my sister and myself were playing, I think we were playing Explorers or something rather. And mum came out with these mangoes. And Jamela says, can I have one? And I was like, no, that's my mango, you know. They're mine, mine. And mum says, yes. I was upset because they were my mangoes. And the holidays weren't over yet. And I struggled to share. And I felt bad later because I was you know, really, really angry, actually. Internally ang- angry as a four-year-old child can get. We continued to play Explorers, and she had one of those um, what are they, one of those pitchforks. We were playing in the garden, digging things and finding grubs, and she put it through a foot. I felt bad. I didn't do it. She did it to herself. But I felt bad, you know. There's one thing that I don't like to share, and that is food. It's interesting watching young kids and watching them try to share toys. And you know what I'm talking about. It's difficult for us as humans to share. But God shares. I mean, would you share something that you're intending them to return? So, for example, yeah, I will lend you my wheelbarrow on the provision that you return it back. Would you share something if it was inexpensive? Okay, well, I'll lend you some salt. But would you say, I'm going to lend you my car? Okay, we share, and our sharing is dependent upon what we're giving and how long we're giving it for. God's sharing is expensive. He's sharing his throne. He's sharing his reign. He's sharing this with us. And Jesus, when he talks to the church at Laodicea, we looked at this a month or so ago. Remember, look at what he says. In Revelation chapter 3, he says this, To him who overcomes, this is verse 21 in Revelation chapter 3, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I would share some salt or I would share a wheelbarrow expecting to get it in return or something that's inconsequential. But God, when he shares, he expends himself and pours it all out. Actually, when God shares, he's not just sharing, he's actually giving. He's actually emptying. He's actually pouring out. Isn't that just an awesome picture of God? And these elders are sitting on this throne, these thrones in the very council of God privy to the conversations that God is having, privy to what God is revealing. But it's not just the elders. We also see the Spirit. Look at this. In verse 5, we see that from the throne, this is God's throne, not the elders' throne, are lightnings and thunderings and voices. And seven lamps of fire are burning before the throne, which are the seven what? The seven spirits of God. You know, um, we see the seven spirits of God another time in Revelation chapter 1. We're looking at the Holy Spirit just here. We're seeing the elders. We've seen the Father. Now we see the Spirit. And it's interesting with the number seven because it's complete and it's continual. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is complete 
and it's continual. When Jesus says to the, to the disciples, remember he says, I will not leave you as orphans, for I will come to you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So Jesus comes to his people through the Holy Spirit. You know, the thing is, when Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, he says he will come to you. He will judge, convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. You can only replace a person with a person. And the Holy Spirit comes in the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he represents Jesus on earth and empowers God's people. And here we see the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing about the lamps is this. In the earthly sanctuary, you have the different compartments. So you have the courtyard, which has the altar and the laver. Then you have the holy place, which has the table of showbread or shoebread, um, the altar of incense, and then the candlestick, the seven-branch candlestick. How often was that supposed to burn or give light? Always. Always. There was always fuel in there, and it would always shine forth. The Holy Spirit is always to be present amongst us. He's always to shine forth. And he shines Christ through us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's before the throne of God and he comes down and he works within his people. You know, when it talks about the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts, look what it says when the Holy Spirit was present. And I could show you numerous examples here. There's power. And when they had prayed, interesting, prayer and Holy Spirit go together. Okay? When you pray for the Holy Spirit, you will receive. And that reminds me of what Jesus says. You know, he says, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive it and you will have it. Remember, he says, if you being evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask what do you think they're praying for they're praying for the holy spirit when they had prayed the place where they were assembled together was shaken was that like a coincidence an earthquake no it's because the holy spirit had descended upon them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and they spoke the word of god with boldness there is power that comes from the infilling of the holy spirit And as they were there praying, praying for the gift of the Spirit of God, it descended upon them and they had boldness. They had the power of God and they proclaimed the name of God and they were unafraid. Isn't it interesting that the power that they have is coming directly from the throne? Because the Holy Spirit is before the throne. The Holy Spirit is there before the throne and not just before the throne. Look at what happens. It says that from the throne proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices, seven lamps. Lightning, thunderings, voices, and then you have the lampstand, the Holy Spirit, and fire comes forth. And as on Pentecost, as the disciples were there praying, as the apostles were there praying, tongues of what were upon their head, tongues of fire. Have you ever heard of the saying, man, that person's on fire? You know, usually when, when, when someone's first experienced conversion or reconversion, we say, man, they're on fire. They got the, the Holy Spirit. 
Shouldn't we always be like that? Shouldn't we always be filled with the Holy Spirit? And the thing is, if we aren't as we ought to be, we come to God who sits on his throne, who still reigns in the Holy Spirit, who is still there. And we receive the gifts from heaven when we ask petitions of God. He is just as faithful today as what he was yesterday. And if you have a need, God has an answer. And the answer is always in his word. And the answer is always himself. If you want to be revived, there is one place to go, and it's through prayer. Through prayer, God listens and God answers. But it's not just the Holy Spirit that we see just here. There's also the four living creatures. Actually, before I read this, I just want to, um, before I say that, I just want to read this. Um, This is from a book called Bible Training School. I don't know if anyone's read it before. It talks about the Holy Spirit. It says, The comforter that Christ promised to send after he ascended to heaven is the spirit in all the fullness of the Godhead, making manifest the power of divine grace straight from the throne room to all who receive and believe in Christ as a personal saviour. That's a beautiful thing, a personal saviour. It could be a corporate saviour, which he is, but he's a personal saviour to every individual who exercises faith in him. Here are the three living persons of the heavenly trio, In the name of these three powers, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, those who receive Christ by living faith. You know, this is not dead, because faith cannot be dead. Living faith are baptized, and these three powers will cooperate with the obedient subjects of heaven in their efforts to live the new life in Christ. It's a new life that emanates from the very throne room of grace. So cool. Um. Now we progress to the four living creatures. Now, like I said before, when I first read this, my first book of the Bible that I read all the way through was the book of Revelation. I had no idea what I was reading. No idea at all. And I get to verses like these, I mean, like, man, what was, what was John talking about? And I finished the book, I'm just like, man, I did not learn a thing. You have to agree with me that it's pretty interesting what he's writing here with these four living creatures. They're not hideous beasts. They're beautiful. They're glorious. And the picture that we have of these four living creatures are actually something that we see in Ezekiel. Look at what it says here in Ezekiel. It says, This is the living creature I saw under God of Israel by the river Sheba, and I knew they were cherubim. Have you heard that word cherubim before? Remember, the, we're going to go to the, the Israelite sanctuary. Where did the cherubim dwell? On the mercy seat. They're angels. Each one had four faces. We saw an ox, we saw a lion, we saw a man, and we saw an eagle. And interestingly, when you look at those things, the lion is the king of the jungle, or you know, the king of the beasts. Um, Man is the priest of of his home. Um, An eagle is king of the birds, and the ox is kind of the chief of the cattle. Isn't it interesting? Positions of leadership. Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. And the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings. You know, so these four living creatures aren't hideous, grotesque, Frankenstein-type beasts, but rather they're angels in the very presence of God. They're cherubim. You know, when Isaiah, in, um, in his book, chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, he sees the very throne room of God. And he sees these cherubim. 
or seraphim around the throne room. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. These are the covering angels in the immediate presence of God. And here they are in presence of God day and night because God dwells between the cherubim. It tells us that numerous times. But the question I want to ask you is this. If God's throne, if God's on his throne, then doesn't that mean that he's now in the most holy place? It appears to be the case, doesn't it? Revelation chapter 4, there's the cherubim, there's God's throne. Isn't that the most holy place? Now, this is interesting, and, and I find this really intriguing. Number one, God isn't stationary, which means that God is just restricted to one place at one time. As if he just sits there as an ornament thinking, well, I'm in the most holy place because that's where I dwell and I can move nowhere else. God's throne, according to Ezekiel, has wheels and it moves. Just think about it for a moment. The burning bush whose presence was there. The top of Mount Sinai, God's presence. The pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, God moves. I can think of five times. Five times in the Old Testament where God's presence fills the first apartment of the sanctuary on earth. We're talking about the, where the lampstand is and everything. So God moves. God can manifest his presence anywhere. And it's interesting that the very beginning of Revelation chapter 4, a door opens in heaven. And as this door opens in heaven, John sees, number one, he sees into the holy place because you got the lampstand there and then he sees the father the father is in the holy place here he's moved and god's movements are always movements of ministry or ministry of salvation he's in a phase here jesus has just completed his ministry on earth in the courtyard so to speak he's died upon the cross or the altar Chapter 5, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and basically the sacrifice is going to be complete. And here is the Father sitting here in this place, in the throne room, basically saying, your um, sacrifice is complete. You know, and understanding that God stays in one place for one time is a very limited understanding. Remember, um, when you compare the Old Testament, the New Testament sanctuary, um, system, heavenly and earthly. Remember how, um, how God says to Moses in Exodus 25, he says, make, make this sanctuary as a pattern according to everything I've shown you in the mountain. Now, I have to use this illustration because my grandmother's here. When I was, when I was younger, I used to go over to her place to play and she had these cars for me. And she'd keep them in a laundry powder box and all these little cars. And I would carry them around and I would call them my dear little cars. You remember that, Nan? She remembers that. Now, those dear little cars weren't the original. But they were patterns of an original. So the earthly sanctuary is a pattern of an original. Okay? A greater a higher, and God has just given a glimpse, a picture to Moses, and he has replicated what he has seen. The heavenly sanctuary is so much more than what the earthly sanctuary ever was. And one of the main distinctions that I think would be different in the heavenly sanctuary and the earthly is the fact that in the earthly sanctuary there was a veil. 
Why was there a veil in the earthly sanctuary between the holy and most holy? Because if the priest walked into the most holy place, which was his duty, and there was no veil, he was a sinner, and the presence of God was there. The veil was there to protect. But in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, it says, Christ is our veil. His flesh is our veil. And as Jesus hung on the cross, the veil was torn and he gave up his life. We can now approach the throne room of grace in time of need because Jesus has endured what we should have endured ourselves. Oh, I had this the whole entire time. Sorry. The main point I want to focus on today is who is worshipped on the throne. Who is worshipped on this throne? In chapter 8, I just love this picture. You have the four living creatures, the four angels, the four cherubims. And look what they're doing continuously. It says the four living creatures in verse 8, each having six wings were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now, did you, did you pick out what the... The four living creatures doing those four angels. They are continuously praising God. Does anyone find that just profound? That they don't get sick, they don't get tired, they don't get worn of worshipping God. They just do it for joy. Unspeakable joy. And you know, here we come on Sabbath and we come to worship God and the preacher preaches over time and thinking, man, I want to get home. Oh, they sung three songs in a row. You know, (laughs) I've done my devotions. They've gone for 10 minutes. Okay, sweet. That's enough. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, perpetually. And it's intelligent, non-ritualistic worship. In that heavenly scene, in that heavenly throne room, who is the worship all about? Who is the focus on? It's not on the angels. It's not on the elders. It's upon he who sits on the throne. In your life, what is the focus on? Is it on yourself? Is it on others? Or is it on he who sits on the throne? You know, as human beings, we will try to worship something. It's default nature of the human heart. We will worship something. And the default nature for every single one of us is we will worship ourselves. Remember Satan? When Satan was in heaven, in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13, he says, I will exalt my throne above the farther sides of the north. I will be like the most high. We all have thrones, so to speak. And what we will do with our throne is try to exalt it. Exalt it above God and exalt it above others. But if you focus on God's throne, and if you keep your eyes on God, 
then you're not going to be looking to establish your own, but rather you're going to be bowing before his throne. And that's the key point. In our worship, who is the focus on? It's not on the preacher. It's not on the lead singer, but it's on him. This is why we've come, isn't it? To worship God. I haven't come to to be blessed. I've come to throw everything that I am at the feet of him who is faithful. Because in heaven, I guarantee you, when we get to heaven and you walk into the throne room, the temple of God, his sanctuary in heaven, you're not going to be like, man, tell you what, those angels, they're off key today. Man, Jesus, hurry up, finish your sermon. You won't want to leave. You won't want to leave. And I'll tell you what, nobody will be trying to usher people out of the sanctuary after the worship service. Because everyone will want to stay. My encouragement for us as a church, as a family here today is, what is your worship like? Who are you worshipping? Is it all about Jesus? Or is it all about everything else? Everything else that is inconsequential. Everything else that fluctuates and changes with the times or the seasons. The fashions go this way, so we go that way. The thoughts and culture goes this way, so we go that way. God is still on his throne. He has always been on his throne and he will forever remain on his throne. And he wants to share his throne with each and every one of you. He shares. He's not a selfish giver, but he wants to share with you. I want to just read you a few things just here. When it comes to God's throne and our worship to God, seeing God on his throne will always inspire us to worship. Now, these angels that are worshipping God in heaven are worshipping him as the creator. He's created all things, not for his ego, nor his glory, but for his desire. And they realize that. If we focus on God's throne, then we'll cease striving for our own. And worship is about God. It's not about you. It's not about anyone else. Worship is all about casting your greatest affections at his feet. Isn't that exactly what Mary did? When she saved up her, basically her wages for a year, she went and she purchased that special perfume. She broke it and poured it out extravagantly. Anyone watching would think that that was such a waste. But that was an act of worship. She cast her greatest affections at his feet. And for the 24 elders, they get their crowns, which are actually victor's crowns. Same words that Paul uses when he says, there is a crown, it's a victor's crown. What are they doing with their crowns? Throwing them at his feet. In other words, you have given me position in the universe, God, but at the end of the day, that's nothing in comparison to who you are. The greatest affections that you can have as a human being are nothing in comparison to who God is in his glory. I believe that we haven't even got a glimpse of the glory of God. We see it on the cross. We see it all through this. But I want to tell you something. When we get to heaven, we see Jesus face to face. We see the Father. We're in that throne room. We're on the sea of glass and we're worshiping him. I guarantee you that in that moment, you're just like, man, now I know what glory is. But even then, you won't have the faintest of ideas. 
That's how profound and complex and awesome God is. I mean, these angels are trying to digest the glory of God. And the only way that they can do it is saying, glory, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they keep saying that because they don't know how to describe it. And that's what we will be like. On a bit of a side note just here, in verse 8 where um, the angels are glorifying God on his throne, they say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It's interesting because in chapter 1, Jesus uses that same title. Chapter 1 and verse 8 of Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Isn't that interesting? That tells us something about Jesus. Jesus is more than just a man. Jesus was not just, Jesus was not created. Jesus is one with the Father. He has always been and he will always be. He's considered the Almighty. You can mess around with Ashley, but you can't mess around with Jesus. Don't mess around with Jesus. He is God. You can only take a name that is yours. You can only take a name that is yours. Otherwise, it's hypocrisy. And Jesus takes the name, He who was, He who is, and He who is to come, the Almighty. Next week, we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 5. But I want you guys to remember, and I want you guys to think and digest this today. What is worship about for me? It is coming and being blessed. And if they don't sing the right songs, if the preacher preaches too long, or if the the children's story, you know, it starts with a loud bang, then worship hasn't been what I want it to be. Let us not make a God according to our own image. Let's just worship him for who he is and what he's done. There was a church in England. I'm closing with this story. There was a church in England in the uh, the late 90s that there was a focus, I guess, so much upon the display. You know, the worship had to be a certain way. The songs had to be sung for a certain length, etc., etc. And there was, was basically a big face, a big front. And the leaders realized that. So the pastor made a tough call. And do you know what the call was that he made? No instruments. No singing. Because we've gotten away from the heart of worship and what it's all about. So there was months that went by where they just wouldn't sing. Because they had missed the point. For them, worship was about themselves and glorifying themselves. So they stopped. And as they stopped, there was, a, there was a music leader by the name of Matt Redmond. And he wrote this song, and it's called The Heart of Worship. And we sang it just before. And these are some of the words that he wrote. And the first song that they sang when they came back to start worshiping and singing praises was this. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. In Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 to 3, it tells us that the redeemed will stand on the sea of glass one day. 
where the 24 elders are right now. We will stand on that sea of glass and the scriptures read this. They sing, it says, Then I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Isn't that interesting? Lord God Almighty, the very thing that is echoing in chapter 4 when the four living creatures proclaim their praises is what the redeemed will be singing before the throne room of God on that day. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Isn't it amazing that one day you will stand in that very place where the angels have stood And you will look at him who is faithful. You will look upon he who sits on that throne, who in the image just here is just sardius and jasper and a rainbow. You will see him face to face. And the praises which you give will echo. Lord God Almighty, holy, holy, holy. And you will never get sick of it. You will never get tired But the greatest joy of your heart would be to sing the praises of him who has done everything, everything to save you. I was was just thinking, you know, um, there's so much celebration in Christianity. So much celebration in the sense that we come and we praise. We sing praises, joyous praises to our God. You know, um... There's not much, if any, in the Buddhist religion or in Islam. But for the Christian, we rejoice because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we have a lot to sing about, don't we? We have a lot to praise. He still sits on the throne and his face has shone upon us today. Father, you reign as Lord God Almighty. And holy, holy, holy is your name. And even though you reign where you are, you are still approachable in that very place through Jesus, your son. The veil that was torn for us, the hand that was extended earthward and heavenward, we cast ourselves upon him. And in doing so, we throw ourselves before your feet. We cast our crowns, we cast our affections, we cast all that we are in front of you, Father. The, the costly perfume that is our life, Father, we spill it out before you. And we say, here I am, send me. May we do your bidding and may our lives be lives of worship. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor and all the praise. I ask this in Jesus' name. any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 
4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc., PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.
You have been listening to Nothing Between by Henry Higgins and coming up next, Before the Throne of God by Enthusiasmos featuring Jennifer LaMountain. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.